Hello, you're listening to Midwest is Best. In this episode, Megan proclaims her love for both s'mores and Kesha, Hannah forgets about Michigan, Alyssa can't forget about cookie buckets, and we all want to go to Beefarama. So last night, perfect night in Wisconsin. So Kevin and I had a bonfire. We were sitting, hanging out, and we started talking about s'mores, and we were so excited to have a s'more, and then Kevin started talking about deep-fried s'mores at the Wisconsin State Fair. And everybody around the fire just stopped and like had a moment of silence thinking about these deep fried s'mores. So that's why we're talking about state fairs and delicious state fair food today. Hey. Also, this is Megan. I didn't actually introduce no, myself. No, you I'm introduced sorry. your husband. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Megan, the married lady of Midwest's Best. And yes, I'm the madam. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Adam of Midwest is Best. Does that make us the whores of Midwest? <laughs> No, you're the Missy's plural? I'm Miss Hannah. (laughs) Come on down to rootin' tootin' Madam Megan Midwest Emporium. And the last person is... Uh, This is Alyssa. We're just three friends having a themed chat. Talking about state fair food. Guys, what are you you craving this summer? I really love uh, something that the Minnesota State Fair has, which is known as their their cookie bucket. So it's uh, this the vendor is Sweet Martha, and it's she sells cookies by the bucket full. So you go, you oh, buy sweet your, Martha. you go. They're homemade. They're still warm. Cookie bucket, chocolate chip cookies, just one flavor, because you know demand is high. It's you, you can't offer other flavors when demand is that high. So you get your. If you're selling cookies out of a tent. You only have so many options. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you get your cookie bucket, but here's the brilliant thing. It's the placement on the fairgrounds, because right across from Sweet Martha's stand where you get your bucket of cookies is an all-you-can-drink milk bar. Oh, brilliant. So you get your bucket of cookies, and then you just go park it at the milk bar. And then you... You're living that good life. And then you get rolled right on out. Do they have rollout service? Like, we will physically roll you out. Like they in Willy Wonka's chocolate there. factory, you just yeah. roll out? They should. Like, that could be a job. And then they, like, a polka band follows you playing roll out the barrel. <laughs> That's, no, you're talking about Minnesota. So, polka they still have polka. Thing. They have polka in Minnesota. But I think the most horrifying slash indicative food of state fair traditions is deep fried <laughs> butter. Because... That's unnecessary. I, I used to eat butter pats as a child when we went out to eat at restaurants. So if I'm saying deep fried butter is a step too far. Wait. So you used to eat raw butter as a child, and then when they deep fried it, you're, you're like, like no. that's no. Well, that's I don't do much. it anymore. <laughs> I no longer open up the little foil butter packets at a restaurant and just gnaw on it. When when did you stop doing that? Like last year? Or... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I feel like I've seen you do it. Took me a lot longer to stop eating sugar packets. That may have been what you're thinking <laughs> well, of. I still <laughs> eat sugar packets, honestly. Clearly, who whoever devised the deep fried butter, they ran out of whatever they were deep fried. They didn't have anything else on hand. And they're just like, we gotta sell something. Get the butter. Just throw it in the vat. Let's, let's see pray. what happens. <laughs> State fairs are all about living dangerously. In terms I of guess. cardiac arrest. In terms, yeah. Yes, yes. In terms of calorie intake and cardiac arrest. 
That's mm. mostly it. It's just like, what kind of food can you get on a stick and or deep fried? Uh, and yeah, like, I mean, there are rides, but I think most people I talk to end up saying, like, I'm going for the food. You know, like, Minnesota State Fair has a section of their website specifically devoted to new food vendors. Like, it's a big, big draw. Well, yeah, and I think that is very much the modern state fair is about the food and the spectacle of all of it. But years and years ago, it was about seeing, like, new inventions and in, in like freak show type acts and things like that. And like I think I think state fairs now still have a lot of music and stuff going on, but it's it's a little more toned down from what it maybe was a hundred years ago when it was like, come see the bearded lady. That kinda reminds me of like when you look at like the world's fairs that they would have back in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. You know, they had all these exhibits to go and see of, like, things from around the world, and this would be kind of, like, just scaled down to the state level. Sort of. So I actually went and looked up, why did we start doing this, at least in the Midwest? And it was mostly about agriculture at first. Obviously, that's still the big focus once you get past the food and the carnival rides. And there were exhibitions, but a lot of things related to farm machinery and the local grain elevators... And there's a lot of similarities across different states, so if you guys don't mind, I can tell you a little bit about what each state did when they started their first state fairs. Please do. It's funny because a lot of them started it really soon after they became states. That's like one of the first things they did. And actually for Nebraska, the year after they achieved statehood, they had their first state fair. They didn't even have a state constitution or a state flag. And what they thought the big focus should be was to have their state fair start. <laughs> How are you supposed to know if you're a state unless you don't, unless you have a state fair? So 1859, they started their first state fair. They did it in Nebraska City, which I've spent a decent amount of time in Nebraska, and I have no idea where that is. But as we'll see as a theme, it actually moved around for about 40 years between a bunch of the different larger cities in the area until 1901 when they finally set it down in Lincoln. They had categories for cattle and agriculture where people could win prizes. And the same thing kind of happened in Wisconsin. So they actually started theirs in 1851, which was three years after, because Wisconsin became a state in 1848. And they had a two-day event in Janesville, which is near the capital. But that was actually sponsored by the State Agricultural Society, who was just trying to get more members. So that was like their membership drive. And for 1851, they had somewhere between eight and 12,000 people come to this first state fair, which is really impressive considering the population of Wisconsin at the time. And that also traveled around between Madison and a bunch of different towns until 1892 when it went in West Allis, which most people don't know is a suburb of Milwaukee. The people I know who grew up in Milwaukee call it Dirty Stallis. So I don't know what that ah, means. <laughs> but that's the, where my husband's grandma lives. You can't say that. It's nice. I have a friend who grew up there. It's nice. There's nice parks. The state fair is there, but it's a little... It's not the worst suburb. My favorite <laughs> fact about the Wisconsin State Fair in a newspaper from the Milwaukee Sentinel, they were complimenting these first state fairs in Wisconsin, and they said, the fair is an orderly affair without a single intoxicated man in the crowd, <laughs> which is just, yeah, such a Wisconsin. They're like, hey, you know it's a good success that people actually learn thing because no one got super drunk yeah let's see minnesota started their state fair in 1854 again with the agricultural society trying to get members trying to get people to join this larger group and it also moved around a little bit until 1885 <laughs> and ramsey county donated a 210 acre poor farm 
<laughs> to be used as the state fairgrounds. I'm hoping that they just didn't need it anymore and not that they just stopped supplying that form of welfare and instead <laughs> put like a big festival. Or as in like, oh, this is not a well, is a poor farm. It does not yield well. No, poor <laughs> no, farms poor. are where they sent yeah. poor people to work. Although, it's like a poor house. I was trying to put a nice... Oh, I no. mean, <laughs> The Minnesota State Fair, which is one of the biggest ones in the area, now takes up 320 acres. And an acre is about the size of a football field for people who don't think about land and acres if you aren't from a, an agricultural area. Michigan also started a little late. Um, never mind, I can't tell you the year. <laughs> <laughs> I will Nobody say. knows when the Michigan State Fair started. It's a mystery. I was excited, so I'm going to talk about what they still have on their state fairground. A 115-year-old world's largest stove. So, <laughs> exciting, now, exciting times in Michigan. <laughs> Illinois started in 1853. And that traveled around the state until 1894. They have a butter carving contest, kind of like Iowa. So if anyone's ever watched the movie Butter, it's all about the Iowa butter carving contest. But they have the same thing with those like big, weird glass enclosures that fit a life-size cow carved out of butter. So maybe that's why they started deep frying it, because they had a giant cow's worth. I mean, they're like, what are we going to do with all this butter? Let's throw it in the deep fryer. <laughs> Lastly, Megan's favorite state. In 1849, the first Ohio State Fair was planned, but an outbreak of Asiatic cholera forced the cancellation of it. So Ohio then, just can't get their stuff right. together. So the Surprises next year, no they set it later in the year, hoping to just lessen the risk of cholera. <laughs> Even though they tried their best, the superintendent of the fairgrounds died of cholera just a few weeks before the fair opened. Oh no! <laughs> so <laughs> they did not get off to a great start, uh, but I feel like even though I brought up Ohio. So did that happen in other states, or did Ohio just have a <laughs> just, rough go? Just cholera like, there. There, was, there were epidemics, but like this one was just in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that would at least make you feel better if I had to bring up Ohio. At least it was about the rampant yeah. disease. So... <laughs> As with most state fairs, I mean, like I said, if you get past between the rides, you can still see that they're all based in celebrating agriculture, and that tends to be why there's so much of a big thing in the Midwest, and also in places like Texas, uh, where that's the basis of the economy and has been for a long time, even if it's not quite the focus anymore. Wisconsin's dairy industry is still huge. You know, that's the whole thing about amber waves of grain in the Midwest, and the kind of breadbasket of the U.S., so that's... That's where we started from, and then yeah, now we get a little bit more into the spectacle and the money-making opportunities and the politics that are heavily involved with fairs. Yeah, I mean, fairs, they've been helping boost the host cities, economies, and the surrounding area, so if you think, like you talked about how the Wisconsin State Fair, it's in West Allis. They host it, so obviously a lot of people are going to flock there if they want to go to the State Fair. Well, then Milwaukee and their, and its other suburbs, they're going to see people coming in. You know, if you have someone that lives out of state or in the far northern reaches of Wisconsin, that's a long way to travel. Like, you're going to be spending at least a weekend. It kind of helps boost everything. It's, yeah, you have to have a place to sleep. You might be eating things other than state fair food. So, <laughs> going to local maybe. restaurants, maybe. I mean, you might not need to if you're getting rolled out because of your deep-fried butter. You've already eaten 10,000 calories that day. You might be good. You might be good. But 
also, if you're doing other things, again, I feel like you're making maybe, like, a long weekend or something out of it. You're like, we'll go to the fair a few days, but we'll also, like, go to these other places. The impact has been upwards of over $100 million per year for some states that they've seen, that they've yeah. made off of uh, these state fairs. And in recognizing that, some states has, have been using taxpayer dollars to fund the state fairs. Uh, not every state fair is taxpayer funded, and not, and even the ones that do use taxpayer dollars, it's not fully funded by taxpayer dollars, but it is kind of that recognition of, we'll give you a little something from the state because the benefit's going to, like, be greater than the input of what we're giving you. Nebraska, for example, they use several sources, uh, including money from their state lottery proceeds, and actually, they were approved in 2008, I believe, to move the state fair from Lincoln to Grand Island, and part of that was, like, we have to use some taxpayer dollars to help fund this move. The university kicked in some money. Indiana uses a portion of riverboat admission tax, which I thought was kind of funny, (laughs) because when I think of Indiana, the first thing I think of are their riverboats, obviously. Wisconsin, they have a non-profit setup that helps fund it, but also they get some money from the legislature. Illinois is actually one of the ones that operates as a part of the Department of Agriculture. So when Hannah was talking about mm. the history of it, having started out of, like, because of the agriculture, the state fairs actually operated as part of the Department of Agriculture, so it's a part of their budget, like, their their annual budget, part of it is for the state fair. Michigan uh, has had some low attendance. It's one, of the lo- it's one of the least attended. I don't know if that's in the country or just in the Midwest in general. Um, and in 2009, mm-hmm. it was actually stopped, so it could save the state some money, so they didn't have to put anything towards it. Oh, yeah. poor Michigan. But it did get to start back up again in 2013, um, but it's now being privately run. So no public dollars going towards that at this time. Well, and I also read that Lower Michigan and Upper Michigan have their own state fairs. So, like, play nice, guys. Come on, maybe that's part of the problem because you you're splitting, yeah. splitting your audience. But are you going to, like, make people take the ferry to get to <laughs> go to the yard? Yeah. That's true. Have you ever taken the ferry? It's... Well, it's not as exciting as they tell you it is. No, you're just on a boat for a really long time. <laughs> I've taken the car ferry from Wisconsin to Michigan. Yeah, you're just on a boat for a really long time. <laughs> uh, you really? can play bingo if you go during the day. I went during a midnight crossing, so like there's just stars to look at, which is cool, but... There's just ex- wide open expanse and beautiful stars. I mean, for no like, light so, pollution. Like, why for four hours, you want to do for that? For four hours and it's midnight and... You, Alyssa... I don't know. One time I watched a meteor shower with you, and I fell asleep, and you didn't notice. You kept telling your story, so don't tell me you couldn't keep yourself busy for four hours the stars. Yeah, Michigan, they have theirs back now again. Um, Iowa is also one of the most attended, so I didn't really come across if there's any taxpayer funds going into Iowa's, but it's one of the most attended, so it's doing all right. Minnesota uh, is not taxpayer funded at all. It's self-sustaining. It is one of the, it's one of like the top three, but it might battle it out with Texas. It's like the one and two is Texas and Minnesota for the most attended. Um, In 2011, Minnesota brought in over 40 million dollars from the state fair. That's just like the, the fair attendance and like if you go to see the grandstand or like paying for the parking and stuff. Um, that doesn't include whatever the vendors brought in, because they don't have oh. to, vendors don't have to say what they make. They're private, you know. They're private companies. Oh sure. Uh, that's just like what the fairgrounds basically made. And again, like this economic impact, you know, when you have a state fair going on, you're gonna increase with jobs. You have to hire people to do security, parking, 
transportation if your fairgrounds are kind of out in the middle of nowhere, like people are going to park and then have to get transported somehow to the fairgrounds. Um, grounds mm-hmm. crew cleanup. So again, not sure how much is made total once you factor in vendors, and again, that impact that happens around the surrounding areas if people are staying at hotels and whatnot. The overall impact could be much larger. For example, the cookie, the cookie lady I was talking about at the beginning <laughs> of the show... Sweet Martha. Martha. Sweet Martha. She can make upwards of $3 million in the 12 days that the fair runs. No. So she'll just make $3 million. That's insane. $3 million. It's just cookies. Yeah, you can just work 12 days a year. You just go to the fair. That's like a Scrooge McDuck vault of cookies and money. <laughs> yeah, for 12 days of work, not bad. $3 million. I would think even like even like one of your more like run-of-the-mill food vendors, the ones that just sell, like, like okay pizza by the slice and, like, nachos or something, they're probably mm-hmm. making money because someone's just going to be hungry. Uh, they, if they charge reasonable, they don't want to wait in a line elsewhere. They're like, whatever, I'm just going to go there and buy this food. Ultimately, hard to know. True impact since it is spread out, but obviously state fairs are having quite the impact, which, you know, maybe makes sense on why states might want to invest some of that taxpayer dollars back into them. And I mean, obviously, we're going to get into even more about the role fairs can play in other things. I feel like that's another one of those things where it's just like, oh, like state fairs, it's so cute. People look at cows and eat a cream puff and whatever. This is a huge, I, like, multi-million dollar industry. I was just going to interject, too. Like you said, like, oh, we just look at cows and eat cream puffs. Not everyone knows what a cream puff is. That is a very Wisconsin, Iowa, Midwest state fair thing. It's a delicious dessert if you're ever in the area check it out um but if someone in like dc is listening they're gonna be like what the hell is a cream puff so so what is it it's a cream filled shoe pastry so it's like the same thing it's kind of like an an eclair but somehow even more delicious so you should eat them and look at cows but also know that you're like helping your state generate a lot of money so kind of going off of Alyssa was talking about some of the bigger state fairs One that's really, really popular in the Midwest is Iowa. Iowa brought in, in 2017, they brought over 25 million revenue for the the fair. But what a lot of people seem to know Iowa more, even more so than their, their food, their entertainment, is politicians. Why do all the politicians go to the Iowa State Fair? Especially, you know, you'd even see... When Barack Obama was running for president, he's from Illinois, but he was going to the Iowa State Fair. Um, So I looked a little bit into the political history of the fair. And it's interesting because even though, I mean, for these, these fairs have been going on for over, well over 100 years in a lot of cases, and politicians would always attend, but it was never considered a political act. Um, I found a quote from Abraham Lincoln when he attended the Wisconsin Agricultural Fair in 1859. It wasn't, it was an Americanist apple pie. It wasn't a political act. It was just a great way um, to bring people together, thereby making us better acquainted and better friends than we otherwise would be. Which, you know, a little more uh, savvy politician now is like, yeah, this is a great way for me to seem normal, seem approachable. (laughs) But that wasn't how especially presidential campaigns were viewed back then. I had found an article in the Washington Post that kind of looked at the history of the politicization of state fairs. And they they were pulling examples from Franklin Delano Roosevelt attended the Iowa State Fair, but it was very specifically not a campaign stop. He was running for re-election, but he was there to talk to Republicans, Democrats, leaders in the area to talk about the drought at the time. And the state fair was just a way to bring people together. 
The first time that documents really show people talking about the state fair in a political sense came in 1954. Then President Dwight Eisenhower was stopping at the Iowa State Fair, and he was going to speak with former President Herbert Hoover and eight other Republicans from the state of Iowa. So it was at this time that a Democrat was like, well, wait, that that's clearly political. This is not just shaking hands, kissing babies kind of stuff. And he did. He gave a speech that was very focused on his campaign, how he was going to continue to lead the American people. So this was the first instance that they really used it as a campaign stop. And people kind of figured out like, hey, this I can really turn this to my advantage. Yeah, I mean, the reason that it, yeah, it makes ahead. sense. I mean, you've got a large group <laughs> mm-hmm. of people already gathered in one space, and especially, like, at that time, you know, it wasn't, like, mass media to get, you know, like, newspaper was your mass media. Like, if you already know there's going to be thousands of people in attendance, well, like, here it's mm-hmm. already, your crowd's built in, the place is built, you just have to go. You just have to show up and yeah. start talking. And campaigning was just a different animal yeah. back then. So in the 30s, 40s, 50s, we kind of start to see that tide turn. And that's where people start really talking about this as a campaign, as a rallying point, like you said. But the way Iowa kind of became the leader for this, the state fair that everybody goes to, started in the 1970s. So in 1972, the Republican Party decided to change their rules on how primaries were run. And it's it's really funny in this article in the Washington Post, they were like, well, there's basically two reasons Iowa became our first primary. First, because they have more steps than a lot of the other states have. They have conventions and caucuses and all, all these different pieces. So their process takes longer. But also they realized it's really hard to get convention centers in hotels in June. So we're just going to have ours in January. So it's easier <laughs> for everybody. Like that's, that's why Iowa is first. They basically called dibs so they could make easier travel plans. <laughs> and it was in 1976 when Jimmy Carter was running for president that he made this a campaign stop. Okay. And there's a lot of historians that look at that and say like, Iowa made Carter a household name. Yeah. Because like you were saying before, Alyssa, that's when the media started picking up some of this stuff. There was a lot more media in the 70s than there were in even the 50s. He was a campaign stop and people in the Midwest learned this Georgian farmer's name because of that. I wonder, do you think because he had like those farming roots, like being a peanut farmer, that he was also kind of attracted to the state fair to be like, you know... Oh, celebration of agriculture in Iowa, and he was like, "I can relate. I farm. Like, yeah, it's a different product, yes. but I'm and that's still like it was you. a very natural thing for him to highlight that agricultural background. And I think it's something that other people have tried to tap into since, with varying degrees of success. Um, because you see, like East Coast elites like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, or and nothing political there, but. <laughs> Uh, you see people who don't have the agricultural background coming in and trying to appear a little folksy. more folksy, a little more approachable because they're eating the deep fried Oreo on a stick there. Which I have to say, like, I do buy more from like Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton, you know? Like, At least the deep fried part. Right. Like, I feel like it fit, like, the diet of the state fair fits for him better than yeah. it did her. <laughs> Well, and I was just reading, oh, I can't remember the politician's name, but there was somebody who ran, who was running in like the early 2000s whose name escapes me. And it's partially because he showed up to the Iowa State Fair in Gucci loafers and drove a golf cart around. 
And everyone was like, we're out. We're no, no one was interested <laughs> because he wasn't playing by the rules. The whole thing was about appearing approachable. So that's kind of how, you know, it was, it was their place in the primary. It was the fact that it's a big Midwestern state fair. Iowa really earned this spot in the media spotlight and in the hearts of all Americans as like the place to go to the state fair. As Abraham Lincoln said, American is apple pie. Actually, I think I misread the article, and that was the author, not Abraham Lincoln. But he, he, I think he'd think the same thing. As Gandhi said, American is apple pie. <laughs> As Gandhi said, you can quote anything. So would apple pie on a stick, is that, that's got to be a thing, right? It has to be a it thing. Should if be. not, we just, goodbye podcast, we're opening a state <laughs> fair booth tomorrow. We're going to make $3 million in 12 days. Apple pie on <laughs> a stick. Just call me Sweet Megan. Get out of my way, Sweet Martha. <laughs> no, you're Madam Megan, remember? <laughs> Madam Megan. Madam Megan. <laughs> Madam Megan's apple pie on a stick. Wait, apple pie the dessert or apple pie the drink? You could do both. Yeah, because there's deep fried beer already. Like, why not deep fried apple pie, the mixture? Wait, but like, you need something to wash down your apple pie. So why not just get like a That's beverage true, just of get apple a cup. pie? Multi-million dollar empire starts now. <laughs> also, it doesn't have to be Madam Megan's. We can call it like <laughs> no, no, apple no. pie with Alyssa or something. No, Madam Alliteration works Madam with Alyssa Megan's too. is like all we need. What if we have three booths? <laughs> and it's like Madam Megan's, Ace's Apples, and Hannah's Home Goods. I was gonna say, <laughs> Hannah's Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sit in the truck yelling. Just watch people. <laughs> I'm throwing apples out the window. All day. So we've brought it back to food. You know, I have fond memories of having great food at county fairs, but to be completely honest, I have never been to the state fair. Do you guys have favorite memories or anything? I find state fairs amazingly overwhelming. I have a little bit of like crowd anxiety. Uh, and the only time I've been to a state fair is I used to work at a different job. Uh, we would go table because I was in the membership department and that's the only time I ever went to the state fair. And it was so difficult to navigate and Aww. there's just people everywhere and like touching you all the time. And I was just like, that's more than I ever need for state fair experience. <laughs> and so I'm never going to one again. Yeah, and I don't really have any memories. I've been to the state fair once with the Minnesota one. I just remember Sweet Martha's Cookies. Um, <laughs> that's all you need to remember. That's all you need. I mean, I never, and I also, never when I was younger. Also, this episode brought to you by Sweet Martha's yeah, Cookies. Yeah, <laughs> hit us up with some free cookies. Should. Yeah, I'd love some cookies. We, my family never went, um, like, growing up. You know, I feel like it's something you usually do if you have, like, young kids. Like, oh, we're going to go to the state fair for the weekend, but... And we didn't live too far from, you know, West Allis, Milwaukee. It would have been two, three-hour drive down. Not not terribly long. You get up in the morning, you go make a day of it, and you drive back. But I just... I think that was not my parents' thing. Instead, though, we would... I do remember going to the county fair. Yeah, we did that. A lot. Oh, yeah. Like, when I was, especially when I was little. Like, every year, county fair. I grew up too far away. I mean, it would have been, like, a three- or four-hour drive. At the Minnesota State Fair, actually, would have been a little bit closer for us. But again, like, it wasn't worth it. And there's, as we'll get into later, a thousand local festivals you can find in the Midwest. And mm -hmm. then, if you wanted, you know, the big 
big fair would be the county fair and so that was only a 20 mile drive instead of 200 so yeah we would do the same thing and you still get like fun food uh like at the jackson county fair in wisconsin they have a steak feed so you can mm-hmm. go get a bunch of steak in western minnesota at the stevens county fair they have like a pork feed essentially mm-hmm. so it's a lot of just like come stuff your face with pork. the meats that delicious we meats yeah and i mean i've seen some of the more out not like the super outrageous state fair foods but like the ones that sound outrageous at first like the deep fried oreo deep fried snickers deep fried butter i have seen those trickle down now into the county fairs trickle down snackonomics <laughs> snackonomics nice. i love it trademark <laughs> that trickle down snackonomics yeah for those that don't know about county fairs i don't know if they're they're pretty know, ubiquitous they a national thing it's like a, a very scaled down state fair. It's very similar to a state fair, but it's, you know, local vendors within your county. The one that I remember going to in Manitowoc is the exact, it was exactly the same to the one that I went to in Superior, Wisconsin. So I think there's like a traveling county fair. I remember getting the elephant ears, fresh fried sugar donuts. And see, going back to what we were talking about before with the agricultural background, I think that's a much bigger part of county fairs still because I have a lot of friends or now friends with kids who will put animals or vegetables and stuff in the fairs to be judged. And then it kind of goes up to the big show where you can get a trip to state and you can do all this stuff. Yeah, because there's what, 4-H? Yeah, 4-H is the... FFA, homemakers groups... All participate in show. I remember having a friend in elementary school. She grew up on a farm and she would talk about how, like, one year I remember she was really excited because she was showing, I don't know if it was her cow or one of her animals. Mm -hmm. But she was like, I'm showing it in the county fair. And I thought it was pretty cool because I was like, I don't live on a farm. So I can't do anything like that. (laughs) But I I have friends who have shown pigs and cows and rabbits and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I got to pet a very soft bunny at the county fair last year. (laughs) Growing up, so growing up when we would go as a family, the way that they did it was, I think it was, it was free to just go in or it was really cheap. You know, the thing you had to pay for was you had to buy tickets to go on the rides. Right. And well, my parents loved that because they didn't go on the rides. They just wanted to go and sit in the beer tent. (laughs) And then my dad would give my brother and I tickets and say, you know, you get like five tickets or something. Here, go on a few rides and then come back. It was like the check in to come back. Oh, you're still alive. Great. Here's some more tickets. (laughs) I remember when the county fair changed that you just everyone had to pay the same flat fee admission for a wristband. And then it was like, all the rides were covered. So I think once it kind of became a little more expensive like that, that's when we kind of stopped going. And also by that point, my brother and I were old enough that we could just go with friends. Yeah, because that's some of my county fair memories are going when I was in high school and college, going with friends because we would go see bigger music acts. I have a lot of friends who listen to country. I know that the two of you aren't the biggest country fans, but like Craig Morgan or um, Jason Aldean played a county fair. You're both shaking your heads like, I don't know what's going on. My favorite county fair concert was 2017. The Dubuque County Fair in Iowa had Kesha, which (laughs) does not seem like a good fit for a county fair. But like you had people walking in in cowboy boots and then you had people in like full like body glitter just (laughs) it was a weird mishmash of people and I at first I was like I don't know how this is gonna go like this this I mean to be fair Iowa Iowa was one of the first states to legalize gay marriage but you could see there were a a bunch of guys in like diesel trucks whose girlfriends (laughs) were bringing them and then, like, just all the all the communities of Iowa yeah. were at this concert. 
and it was a blast. Like everyone lost their minds. She had glitter cannons. But that, that is hands down cannon? my favorite county fair memory. <laughs> that never happened at any of the county fairs I've ever been to. Well, you have it's been usually like out. third tier cover band. Manitowoc always got like bands that had been big at one time. Like Joan Jett and the Blackhearts played. What? In like 2007, 2008. That would so, be so like, cool. Like it, yeah, it is cool, but it's also like, well, they're not exactly like heyday mm-hmm. in 2007, 2008, whenever it was. There we go. Don't go to state fairs, go to county fairs is what we're <laughs> more local? apparently saying. I don't saying. know. I guess if you really want like some of the outrageous food, state fairs yeah. might be where it's at. I mean, people watching is good no matter yeah. where you go. And I think we're going to talk in later episodes about how the Midwest is all about its weird festivals. So we're going to talk more about weird food and weird people and weird music. All of it. But that's for later. <laughs> Those tend to be a little crazier and you get what Alyssa mentioned in a previous episode with Sputnik Fest. And we have Spanferkel near where I grew up, which is a German word for roast suckling pig. And it's actually <laughs> basically just an autumnal pork festival in this tiny town in rural Wisconsin. Oh, God, I, sh- I should ask my parents because there's a place up by them in northern Wisconsin as Meat Fest. Do you say meat or wheat? Meat. It is just M-E-A-T. Meat. <laughs> Meat of any and every kind. I guess. Come on down to Meat Fest. This podcast brought to you by Meat Fest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we can only hope. That's my goal. (laughs) We dream really big in our endorsements. (laughs) Sweet Martha's and Meat Fest. (laughs) Oh, man. Reach out. What more would we want? I'm looking it up. Meat Festival. (laughs) Oh, no, it's no way it's even better. Ready for this? Beefarama. Yes! Now all I want in the world is to go to Beefarama. Beefarama. I think it is actually they they pronounce it Beefarama. So. Yeah, because you get the nice Midwestern Beefarama. 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 <laughs> so state fairs good for the food. County fairs though probably a little easier for you to access. Safer to set your children free. I survived. And we're glad you did. Uh, you can find us on. All the social medias, uh, we're at www.midwestisbestshow.wordpress.com. Twitter, Midwest is Best Show. Instagram, Midwest is Best Show. <laughs> Facebook, you guessed it, Midwest is Best Show. Yeah, so if you're on the socials, any any social, so <laughs> I wanna share with us. I want to see the outrageous food that you find. If you met sweet Martha, we want a picture. And also, if you're listening want to find more of us, you can find us on iTunes and pretty much anywhere else find podcasts. So share, tell people how great it is to hear three people yell about cookies and butter. Hit that subscribe <laughs> button, rate and review. Please be nice. Don't be Midwest nice, just be nice. Be Rama. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'd also like to thank Kola, an artist from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for releasing music under Creative Commons licensing. You've heard their song, Till at Last, in our intro. This podcast is also released under Creative Commons. Share and share alike.